Hey, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of The Great Divide, the first and, as far as I know, only big country podcast in the known universe. I am your host, Tom Kerchival, and uh, yeah, this is episode three of the show. And the reason it's episode three is that uh, the first episode was split into two parts. And someone I'm going to introduce you to here in just a a minute or two convinced me that instead of calling it episode 1A and 1B, that we just call it episode 1 and episode 2. So I think that makes sense. So the last two episodes were episode 1 and 2. This is episode 3. And this one's going to be a little bit different, um, and it's probably going to be setting the tone for the future episodes. And that is because I now have a partner that I'm working with, and his name is Svein. He is from Norway. And I've known Svein for, man, almost 20 years, probably around 17 years. And he is one of the first people that I became aware of out there in big country cyberspace, sort of when the, the first big country email lists were spawned and uh, the first big country chat rooms and websites. Some of you guys might remember the Crossing chat room and all these other great places uh, that, that a lot of us found each other in those early days of the Internet Swine was one of those people for me, and we've kept in contact all these years. We've both gone on to to start our own families, and you know we've we've kept in touch and corresponded. He's someone who whose opinion I really respect, and he's got a lot of intelligent insights on the band, and he knows a lot about the band's history, and he's just a good, great big country fan to talk to. Good source of big country knowledge. So. As you might remember, when I did the first episode of this podcast, I said, you know, I didn't want this whole thing to be just me talking because I think it's a lot more interesting to have, you know, at least two people who are uh, exchanging opinions, exchanging insights, um, maybe even differing on opinions and disagreeing at times. And that's why I thought uh, of having someone else help me out. And interestingly enough, the very first person that I thought of was Svein. Because I've always, as I said, I've always enjoyed corresponding with him and his posts, and I thought he would be a, a someone who, you know, he and I would get along well together. So, strangely enough, even though I've known him for all this time, we just spoke for the very first time just a couple of weeks ago through Skype, the wonders of Skype technology. And I called him in Norway, we spoke, we hit it off well, just as we thought we would, and we recorded an- another conversation a week or so later that you're going to hear parts of today. And that is going to be the countdown, the top 10 countdown of our top 10 list of big country B-sides and rarities. And let me just say that our, our definitions of what constitute a B-side or a rarity we're pretty much the same, Svein and, and myself, but uh, we, we did differ a little toward the end of our list. And just to clarify what I think about or, or why I chose the songs I did, for me, a B-side was any song that was not um, on an, official, an officially released album. Um, and I guess by that, you know, I mean like an official studio album, not, not talking about the rarity CDs and those types of compilations, but... One of the eight studio albums, has it been eight? I think it's been eight, that Big Country released. I chose any song that was not on one of those albums. And for me, that also included Wonderland. Um, And I didn't choose any demos either because there are some fantastic demos that Big Country has done over the years. For example, I Could Be Happy Here is one of my favorite Big Country songs, the the demo version of it, not the Peace in Our Time version. Um, Although I do like the Peace in Our Time version, I think the demo of that song just blows it away and it's such a great passionate big country song 
But I didn't choose that for my list simply because I didn't pick any demos that would eventually become full-fledged songs that would appear on an official album. So, you know, in case you're wondering why certain demos of certain songs didn't make it onto my list or Svein's list because he felt the same way, that's the reason. But as we went further down our lists, we did diverge a little bit on what we thought, you know, was fair game to pull from. But, you know, in the, at the end of the day, who cares? They're, they're great big country songs. We picked great big country songs. And um, it'll be interesting to hear, I think, and, and see how it compares with your list. So we're going to jump into that here in just a second. Before we do, I just want to say thank you to everyone for the feedback that you gave me on the first episode. I got a lot of great feedback from it, and that made me feel really good. I mean, it's, you know, as I said, I'm someone who's really enjoyed listening to podcasts myself. And so the idea of creating one that's being listened to while people, you know, work around the house or or sit down for the night and before they go to sleep or driving to work or whatever, and, and in various countries too, that's, that's very cool for me. That makes me feel good. And I think it's long overdue that uh, Big Country has had a podcast so anyway, finally, before we get into it, the last thing I'll, I'll say is that if you want to contact us, please email us at bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. Bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear your feedback. And also, by the time you hear this, we should have a Facebook page up for this podcast. It is not up as I record this, but so I don't have a, an actual address to give you, but it should be up here very soon. So keep an eye out on the Big Country Facebook page or the Big Country websites, and we'll be uh, putting the link to that up. And, and when you see it, please like it. Please feel free to like it. That way you can you can converse with us there directly and let us know you know, what you think of this show, if you, if you like it, if you don't like it, what you'd like to see changed, what you, what you would like to see uh, us talk about in future episodes. Because, you know, obviously we want to entertain you just as we're entertaining ourselves. And it's great. It's a lot of fun to be able to talk about big country. You know, many big country fans uh, only seem to converse about the band online because it, sometimes it's difficult to find people who are as passionate about a band like big country as you are and speak to them face to face or, or voice to voice in the case of Svein and myself. So when we spoke, we kind of, you know, had a lot of that pin up passion about big country that just sort of came out and we ended up talking for quite a bit of time. So both of these conversations in the next two episodes are, are pretty fairly heavily edited just because we had to. Um, I had to edit these things for time reasons, but there are a lot of good topics touched on that we'll include in future future episodes. So anyway, that's all I would be doing here. I'm, I'll stop bloviating uh, with this introduction, and let's just get right into it. Let's connect to Norway, and we'll be talking to Svein, and here we go. Shut! Welcome to The Great Divide again. This is Tom Kerchival, and this is my friend of... Nearly 20 years, we spoke for the very first time just a few days ago after 20 years of, of uh, corresponding and sharing our opinions on big country and arguing with other people about big country and uh, all kinds of adventures. But uh, I'm, I'm going to say his last name only once on this podcast because his first name is, is Fine and his last name is Hjorthug. How was that? Ah. I think you can be allowed to say it a few more times if you want oh, to. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I, I practiced it. I practiced it because... Oh, uh, you did. Okay. But but Svein is in Norway. And what part of Norway are you in, Svein? 
I come from originally the sort of northern part of the west coast. So um, if you have the stereotypical Norway with the mountains and the fjords, that's exactly where I'm from. Oh my gosh. Uh, although right now I've moved down to the capital area, sort of around Oslo where I work. So uh, not so many mountains here, so I tend to miss them. So, I mean, is like uh, I've called you a Viking in the past. Is that is that a, a good thing to call you or is that uh, – I mean, <laughs> how do you feel about that heritage? Yeah, I, I guess I could make you feel really bad now and say, oh, you've insulted me. No, it's uh, <laughs> it, it is sort of a heritage thing and you have all the tourist side of it where you sell all the plastic helmets with horns and uh, that side of it and you sort of, oh, Vikings and stuff. And uh, that's uh, that, that's sort of okay if you tend to forget that the Vikings were really actually bloodthirsty uh, <laughs> right. savages. You know, if, if you forget that, that side of it, it's kind of nostalgic. <laughs> well, I, I know them from the movies, of course. And, uh, you know, I love Vikings. I love Viking movies and uh, – I would love to be able to say that I had some Viking in my heritage, but I cannot. So I have to live through you. Yeah. So there's always the plastic helmets. Yes, exactly. I have. I probably had those at one point. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into the band? Yeah, like most things, it's uh, really a happy accident. You know, yeah. so, so many things in life are happy accident, and this is definitely one of them. But uh, uh, as a kid growing up, I mainly had two interests music and comic books. Mm. And that comes into play several times. Uh, first of all, when I sort of had a major musical awakening that happened around 1979, I borrowed some cassette tapes from a friend and I uh, put them on. And uh, uh, this was back at the time when uh, certain bands were huge, larger than life. And one of the songs that uh, was at the beginning of one of those tapes was uh, Tonight You Belong To Me. That's a song from <laughs> Paul Stanley's solo album. You know, you can say a lot of things about Kiss, but uh, it's a—it's certainly a very inspiring band. And back in the day, they were like real-life superheroes to me, which, you know, the yeah. comic book interest comes in and the music thing, and you sort of got both of them. Same so, here. Uh, yep. Yeah, exactly. So I think very few uh, bands made people want to play guitar and stand in front of the mirror with a tennis racket and all that stuff. So <laughs> I, I we did go through that. And my first goosebump moment in music was uh, came from Kiss. So the interest in Kiss grew. You know, I was a huge Kiss fan then. I am that still today. And uh, in 1980, I bought the first ever LP with my own money. Wow. And uh, Kiss Unmasked. Wow. That was so, your first Kiss album? That was my first one that I bought with my own money. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Got so li like everybody else, you know, taped off stuff and you had uh, that kind of stuff. But uh, the Kiss collection grew. So the first three or four years of the 1980s, I mostly bought Kiss albums and tapes. And uh, I bet people are wondering where the heck is Big Country coming into this? <laughs> <laughs> I know, because uh, we, we could easily turn this into a Kiss podcast, you and I. So we we'll, could. We'll, we'll try we not could. to do that because it would, for the sake of uh, the non-Kiss fans out there. But, but maybe we should put that aside and try that sometime down the road. We'll see. We'll try to get the kiss bit out of the way now. So right, we're sort right. of dealing with it. So so bear with me a few more minutes. But um, generally, you know, in the 80s, I was a metalhead. And uh, this <laughs> is too. getting stranger and stranger, isn't it? Yes, and, it is. And um, uh, like a lot of things, you, you hear on the radio and you pick up on compilation tapes. And one of those tapes that, uh, you know, the current hits, my dad bought one for the car. And one of the tracks on that tape was Chance. 
by Big mm. Country, wow. which which became the first ever song I heard from that band. And wow. uh, I said, wow, you know, that's uh, that's interesting. And uh, I think the next one I heard was, uh, I can't even remember, it might have been Fields of Fire. I know for a fact it wasn't in a big country. Like uh, a lot of people seem to have heard that song first. Yep. Uh, I didn't hear that until I actually went out and bought The Crossing on tape, which wow. I did. Uh, I found it in a bargain bin, remembered the track on the compilation my dad got and said, okay, I'll take the plunge. <laughs> and I took the plunge and uh, it sort of grew from there. Do you know what it was about the, the music or the presentation of that song that, that uh, got you interested, if you can remember? It was probably just uh, a damn fine tune. You know, it's yeah, a yeah. very melodic, very uh, sort of, dare I say, emotional, certainly compared to the stuff I listen to otherwise. And right. uh, it had something about it. I don't think Big Country at that point could compete with what I listened uh, to. Uh, on a sort of rock and roll level so it had to be on that level so they got in through that back door but uh i discovered that yes they could rock they, they could indeed rock as well and it uh, it offered something and and this is where the comic book uh, interest comes in and enhances my love for a band again just like it did for kiss because uh, i was sitting in the car reading uh, a bunch of prince valiant comic books wow uh which uh, for those who do not know what what this is it's an old one it, that came out in the 30s and 40s started coming out and it's still coming out today and that's uh, set back in the days of king arthur and the knights at the round table so it's oh yeah very, i remember those yes very emo evocative comics uh grand adventure sort of sweeping and uh and uh the big country tape was playing in the car. I brought it, said, put it on, and I was listening to that stuff, and somehow it meshed. And wow. uh, they enhanced each other, like some things can do. Boy, I can, so, I can really, I can really see that. That's that's pretty amazing because that really kind of uh, captures, I think, a feeling that I had with it as well, and probably a lot of other people. Just that sense of, you know, adventure and grandness and bigness. Yes, exactly. And that's, um, that's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It, uh, it, it just all meshed together. So this was in 84, I think I picked up the crossing. So uh, Steel Town followed a month later, and I liked that more. Uh, it, certainly the rock and roll was, was back there. Big Country was kicking ass. But uh, the interesting bit is for most of the 80s, Big Country was the soft alternative in my record collection. But, but they had something else as well. And uh, I think the total package appealed to me that they could be hard, they could be soft, they, they could be grandiose and epic. And uh, I think, uh, you know, whether it was a ballad or a rocking song, it, it had an epic quality. It had something extra mm. that uh, I hadn't heard in anyone else. And uh, they kept that up for many an album. And eventually, you know, in the 90s and onward, they, uh, they became more... Uh, of a traditional rock band, but they still kept a signature that yes. they had all the So um, they developed like a lot of listeners developed, and uh, I was just happy to, you know, that they, they fit in, that they grew with me. So uh, when I think back at, uh, you know, there's the discovery of Kiss, which was huge, and led on to other metal bands, and then there was the discovery of Big Country, which led to me discovering a different type of bands, and they were gate openers. And I think the second band, Shortly thereafter, that I discovered, and I thought, this sounds a little bit like Big Country, and that was the alarm, which oh, yeah. is uh, a little bit funny when you think of it today. With yes. Mike Peterson and that. So, right. Uh, and you two followed a lot later. That was like three or four years later when I went and checked out you two a bit more, and that was uh, 
That was okay, but to me, Big Country and the Alarm were the biggest bands of those type of bands from the 80s. Uh, as I get older, it's harder and harder to rank stuff. You know, right. uh, when I was 20, I it was very definite. Oh, this is my favorite. This is number two. This is number three. And uh, <laughs> everything was very definite. And today, it's, it's really a mood thing. But uh, Big Country is always going to be up there. You know, yeah. just like Kiss is always going to be up there. It's it's kind of your first loves, and they are still there. And uh, exactly, uh, there are bands I love today. I, you know, discovered a band yesteryear, and I love them, but they don't have the same sort of personal legacy, so to speak. So, mm. bands like that that have been with you all your life, they're always going to have a special place. And uh, especially for big country, you know, for for many years. Um, in the 2000s, I couldn't listen to them anymore uh, because of what happened. And uh, I guess like most fans, same here, uh, same kind of hard to uh, to listen to the band and get some of the sameness about it. it uh, and it's still hard. It's still hard for me sometimes. Yeah, it's still hard, but it's coming back. And uh, uh, a lot of it is, of course, thanks to the band that are now going on. And Mike Peters is coming in and yeah. it's infusing it with something. And, and you can sort of... Uh, feel the, the freshness and the, it's a second coming and uh, all of that stuff and that's very positive Definitely. And, and it helps and uh, now that I find myself listening to the albums again after many years a really big break to be honest and uh, it's, it's it's all coming back that's some great. of the feelings I had so uh, so I'm just looking forward to what keeps coming from a band and it's much more fun to follow a band that is still going than you know Otherwise, it's sort of a legacy band, and uh, it's it's there, but it's different. Yeah, definitely. I I couldn't agree more with that. And I, you know, we had <laughs> we continued to have very similar experiences. But uh, yeah, I did the same thing after Stuart passed away. I I could not listen to the the band for a long time because of just the, you know, as I said in the last podcast, just the very cruel irony of of the way it ended. You know, I mean, like uh, yes. just as a comparison, I'm I'm a huge fan of the Clash and. Joe Strummer is one of my favorite all-time artists, and he died in that same year as, as Stewart. But and it was very, very sad for me, and and very disappointing, especially because I think the Clash were talking about possibly reuniting because they were about to be inducted in, into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But um, he died of a heart attack, you know. So it was very easy to 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 still listen to the Clash's music and listen to Joe Strummer's music and feel bad that he was gone, but, you know, kind of keeping his spirit alive through through the songs. And I didn't have even remotely that same type of reaction as I did with Stewart because of the way that he ended his life. And you never, ever would have expected that from him. So, yeah, I totally understand. And, yeah, um, yeah and as the years have gone by, like you, I've slowly gotten back into it. And, um, yeah, I love what the band is doing now. I mean... I know that I think I talked to you once before on through email and you you had said that you weren't really you were trying not to listen to any of the new big country songs that they were performing live that you wanted to wait and hear them. Is that still the case or have you have you listened to uh to any of the new ones that they've done and th- that they've played live and if so what are what are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I'm very old fashioned. Uh I prefer to get the album on release date, take it home sit in the chair, put it on the record player, you know, CD player if uh, need be, mm. and uh, take in the album. So uh, I've listened to the, the single it put out, Another okay. Country.
I've sort of stopped there. I'm waiting for the album. I'm uh, I'm an old-fashioned guy that way. I like to get it, and go home. <laughs> I am, I am too. I mean, that's the way I prefer it. But man, you you have you have more willpower than me because when I know that there's a new song out there that I could hear, which is so easy these days, you know, I I jump on it. So how many new songs are they playing these days? <sighs> that's a good question. Um, I'm trying to. When I was talking about them, I was trying to think of which ones they were, and the titles are all are all escaping me, but. I think overall they had at least at least five or six, um, maybe even upwards of seven, but uh, I, wow. at least at least a good five or six songs, and you know fully fleshed out and uh, sounding really good, sounding really good. You're making it hard for me to avoid YouTube. <laughs> I know. See, I want to I want to do a future podcast on this the current state of the band, so you know. If we have to wait too long, you might have to break down and, and listen to some of these so we can talk about it. But, okay, uh, well, that, that's a good excuse, actually. Okay, so one of the things um, that we were doing today, besides introducing Spine, uh, is talking about Big Country's B-sides. And he and I are going to give our list of top ten Big Country B-sides. Now, one of the things one of the things that was so tough about this is that, as you guys know – who are big country fans, um, and why why wouldn't you be if you're listening to this? Um, there are just so many B-sides. I can't think of another band that has not only the amount of B-sides and rarities that big country has, but that has the kind of quality of, of songs that they have. I mean, kind of the ongoing comment that you hear for years with big country fans is, why didn't they put this song on the album? You know, why didn't why did this song not make the album? How could they possibly not have thought this was good enough? And I have the same feelings about a lot of these songs that are that are going to be on my top ten list. And I'm sure you have the same feeling about yours. How do you how do you feel about the big country um, B side catalog overall, Sine? Oh man, you know it's uh, like you said, it beggars belief that uh, some of these aren't on the albums, uh, but. I think generally a lot of fans love B-sides yeah. and uh, in many cases prefer them to album tracks. And why is that? Is it, is it because the B-sides are really generally better or do we just obsess over them more because they are rare and hard to get and finally we get them and wow. So I think it's a bit of, of both. But um, That's a good point. It's a good point. It's it's uh, you know that's the collector in me speaking. You know I collect yeah. music and those elusive tracks are always uh, extra good to get finally and yes and you sit down and and you get into it uh, different than when you get an album and you exactly you so so there's a bit of that and uh, certainly I've obsessed over a lot of these over the years before I finally got my hands on them and today of course it's easy today yeah. everything's uh, available on compilations or whatever but back in the day a lot of these. Oh, I know. Me for years. I know. Me too. It was so. It was so uh, exciting to find a new one. I'll never forget that feeling. You know, of walking into, you know, here in America, we, it was so tough to find big country releases. I mean, pretty much everything we bought was an import after a certain period. I mean, the bands, I think after the Seer and the Peace in Our Time album, you couldn't buy uh, a big country album that was was not an import over here. So. Wow. So finding, you know, going, I was, I used to just go into these old record stores all the time, and there was one called Record and Tape Traders that was my favorite when I was in college, and they would always carry. They must have had a big country fan who worked there because they always had like the most up to date big country imports, and yeah, it was just an amazing feeling to walk into the record store and see, you know, something from the REL tapes, which we'll talk about because a lot of my, mm -hmm. 
choices come from that that period of time, which if you don't know what I'm talking about, that was um, around the time of peace in our time. But uh, but yeah, it, it was it was so much more difficult and it was so much more satisfying in a way too to finally get a hold of these things and listen to them. So yeah, you could be onto something as to why people seem to love B sides more. Um, also, I think that for me, I think a lot of it too is that often with these B-sides, not not always, but quite often is the case, it, it's a very pure representation of what the band wanted to do with a song. It's almost like it's before it got in the hands of a producer. Exactly. You know, so it's more true to their vision and, uh, you know, this is as intended. Exactly. It, it, it makes sense uh, now that they have shared a lot of the demos uh, on the Rarities uh, CDs and uh, they sound like those demos. They sound like those B-sides in right. many cases. So it's like... Uh, the ones they didn't use in the album, they just released in that raw form, and wow, you know, people sucked it up. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to go through our top ten list of Big Country B-sides, and I will let you begin with your number ten, and uh, and then I'll do my number ten, and we'll just go from there. Get ready for the countdown. Ten. My number ten, to uh, finally get to that, is... Uh, <laughs> It's a slight cheat because uh, I have two songs there, but I feel they belong together. And I, I have chosen. To hear this, by the way. Yeah, I've chosen "Bass Dance" and "Belief in a Small Man." Oh, fantastic! Uh, which to me sort of belong together. "Bass Dance" is sort of the intro to "Belief in a Small Man." It is. Uh, I don't think they have ever played "Belief in a Small Man" live, but I would be sort of disappointed if they didn't play "Bass Dance" first. So that sort of they belong a bit together. outtakes from steel town mm -hmm. so uh, which is probably their best album and i would be hard pressed to say belief in a small man should take the place of any of the steel town tracks right uh but uh, the quality of that album is so high that this is still a fantastic b-side uh belief in a small man you know when i read the lyrics it's basically about uh, i think Stu was becoming a dad at the time right and they had a son just like you and me and yeah uh, I, I think that's about the time yeah yeah, so I think belief in the small man is basically looking to your son and uh, and looking ahead and that things are going to turn out okay. That's so interesting. I've never heard that interpretation before, but that that makes a lot of sense, especially when you when you think of the the lyrics of the song, talking about just as one life turns from birth and um, I, talking about growing old and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great way to look at it. I'm going to go back. You've inspired me to go back and look at the lyrics again and. And uh, and think about it that way. I never thought of that, but um, yeah, the way I always took it, it was just on face value as kind of the, the whole big country feeling, which kind of went along with the Steel Town album was you know belief in the small man, belief in the working man. But when you say that, and I think of the lyrics, I think you're you're definitely onto something there. Yeah, but those are the two themes of uh, the Steel Town era. You have sort of the small man, the working man, which uh, obviously the title track of the album. Deals with, but there's also the father-son thing, uh, which uh, the Great Divide and uh, uh, what's it called, Tall Ships Go, 
Yep. Yep. And and those things. So so there is a father son theme and there's a working man theme. Uh, those are the main themes of Steel Tap. So this fits, you know, uh, both of our interpretations fall right into the main themes of that album to me. This song is on my list as well. It's not number ten, but uh, you stole my, you stole my thunder a little bit for that one. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. What a what an amazing song. Um, it's just. Uh, it, it fits perfectly on Steel Town. I, I would think that that must have been – in fact, I think it was produced by Steve Lillywhite as well. So that must have had like the full production. Un, unlike most B-sides, you know, it wasn't like done in a, in a session before the actual album was recorded. It seems like that was done at the same time that the whole Steel Town album was recorded and, and it was yes. given the – yeah, and it was given that full treatment. So, I mean, if you, if you put that on Steel Town, I mean, it would – it would fit perfectly from a sonic perspective and and as you said certainly from a thematic perspective and uh yeah you know i i i guess i guess vinyl was more limited than cd's back then maybe if uh if cd's were the big thing at the time maybe that would have ended up being on the album but uh okay well let me let me do my 10 here and my number 10 um this was actually higher up on my list at one point and then it's it kind of faded back a little bit but still one of my favorite B-sides, and it is from the period just before the release of Why the Long Face, and it was uh, it was part of what's called the House in the Woods demos, which I guess was the name of a studio that they, they recorded in, and this song is Can You Feel the Winter? Love this song, and probably one of the reasons I love this song so much is that um, you and I were talking a little bit about Why the Long Face the last time we spoke, and I, I think it's a really good album. A lot of great tracks on there, but at the same time, you know, I'm I'm very much probably to the annoyance of some big country fans. You know, I I'm always trying to capture recapture that magical spark of the early big country. Not not that they have to sound like that, but I, I like when the band is really big and bombastic and they're not putting together, you know, just traditional, more traditional rock songs, which they, as you said, they did a little bit more of as time yeah. wore on and, and kind of want a long face kind of had that too. So when I got, um, I think I heard this on a, a bootleg CD at some point, I think it was a vinyl release only for a long time, which made it dif- difficult to to get a hold of and they finally released it on one of the rarities which is funny because they made um they made a mistake on the rarity i can't remember which one it was but they labeled the song hardly a mountain when it's act when it's actually can you feel the winter when you play the cd so but on on that vinyl was can you feel the winter hardly a mountain and golden boy loves golden girl um yep. all of which i think were good songs but this one really struck me uh, as my favorite because it's one of those it's one of those big country epic songs. It's one of those uh, big country songs that goes through a lot of different changes and dynamics. Um, it's it's a very ominous sounding song. It almost sounds like it could have fit in on Steel Town to some degree. I mean, it, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the song and the lyrics, but yeah. it's it's about you know working class struggles and and uh, the same types of themes that that were really abundant on Steel Town and. 
I love the uh, the opening guitar of the song. I love um, there's a point in the song where it it kind of kicks into overdrive and and the song changes time signatures. And the drumming, too, on this song is just fantastic. I mean, Mark does some just incredible old-school Mark Brzecki stuff on it that I was really missing on some of those uh, later uh, big country albums. He wasn't he wasn't kind of going as crazy as he had in the past. And the funny thing about this one is I remember once Stuart was in uh, the Big Country Crossing chat room that we talked about before um, privately, and... I don't know if it was me, but it probably was since I'm a big fan of the song, but I can't remember. It might have been someone else, but we asked him about this song, you know, what he thought of it. And uh, he said he could not even remember the song. <laughs> he had no memory of it. And uh, I think some of us had to type in some of the lyrics and kind of jog his memory. And then he said, oh, oh, yeah, OK, I remember that. And he he never said whether he thought it was a great song or not, but uh, but I certainly feel like it is. So uh, I wonder if this is the last epic that they might have done. Thus wow, that's, far. that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I think you might be right about that because what else What else came after it? I mean, Why the Long Face led to driving to Damascus. There's certainly nothing there. Yeah, no epics there. So I yeah, think you're right. So this is the last epic they did. And for that reason alone, you know, it uh, deserves to be mentioned and remembered. And uh, uh, you're right, you know, for, from a fan perspective, it's disappointing that Stu didn't remember it uh, and didn't think higher of it. And uh, certainly, you know, it would have enhanced uh, Wide and Long Face. Uh, I don't know if it would have fit on it, though. It was, was going to say type I don't, of album. Yeah, I don't think it would have fit on the on the album at all. I mean, it was it was um, it just had a much darker, heavier feel. Whereas Why the Long Face had, you know, it certainly had its dark moments on Why the Long Face, but just the sound of it didn't seem like it would accommodate the sound of this song. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's a quite complex song. I think it has three main passages. And uh, whereas I think the the intro is great, that yeah. sort of sets it up. It's it's a typical ominous uh, sort of something is coming. Uh, exactly. Uh, you can feel just the clouds like, rolling in. Yeah, it goes back to the songs like the storm, and uh, they've always had a bit of that. That uh, yep. something's coming, something's happening. Yeah. And, uh, and and I love that bit of it. And then the chorus falls a little bit flat to me. That, that's the weaker part of the song. But I mm-hmm. really love when they kick into the I hope that you can take it part. Yes. Uh, which sort of gallops on and leads into a ferocious guitar solo. Which, yes. Uh, yeah. It's absolutely fantastic. All right. Awesome. So that's uh, that's our both of our number 10s. What is your number 9? fine. Nine. My number 9 goes back to the days of the crossing. And uh, that was sort of they had a couple of odd B-sides, and the first ones definitely were Skid songs in my book. The songs like Hard and Soul, it's a Skid song in my book. It sounds just like Skids. No doubt. And uh, Angel Park, same thing. And uh, once they got those off their chest, they started moving more towards what we know as the big country sound. And I think just before they really got there, they recorded a song called Balcony. <laughs> which to me has still sort of a foot in the skids uh, heritage, shall we say. But also, the big country sound is emerging. 
so it's a very strange song. It certainly wouldn't fit on the album. It's almost staccato in the rhythm. Yeah. And uh, very dark. It's very moody. I tend to like the moody songs. Uh, so uh, the lyrics are a bit strange. I remember someone on the old mailing list saying that this was about the assassination of Abe Lincoln. Exactly, yes. Yeah, so I remember that. I don't know if I agreed with that at the time, but every I've time actually, I heard the I've, song now, I think of that. So well, there I've must actually, be something. I've, yeah, I've actually heard it confirmed. I can't remember. I think I read it. I read it somewhere. I might have even been from Stuart himself. Um, but I remember feeling pretty confident after reading this. I wish I could remember exactly where it was, that that's kind of what it was about, or at least that's what inspired it. And I think, you know, like so many of the songs back then, it's hard to it's hard to look at that on face value and say, oh, yeah, that's about the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. But um, hearing, I think, you know, it's just got pieces of that in there, the whole thing that John Wilkes Booth, the guy that assassinated him, was in a balcony and... Mm. Um, I think there's a, a line in there, a listen the bullets call, herald a great man's fall. Um, but yeah, anyway, certainly. yeah, yeah. I, I've heard that before too, is what I'm trying to say. And I, I feel like that's probably part of the inspiration behind it. But go ahead. I guess the reason I, for the longest time, didn't think that could be it was uh, it seemed like such an unusual topic to write about. Yes. Look at uh, what he wrote about Elstein, El- Elsewhere on the Crossing. It was... Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. It's uh, totally different. You know, it wouldn't be anything historic. It would be more inspirational stuff and uh, more like "Come on, boys, and stay alive." And uh, right, you know, uh, up and coming. And suddenly, it's the assassination of Abe Lincoln. So that was a weird one. Well, you know, there's supposedly some sort of Scottish uh, historical references in Harvest Home, which I'm I've yeah, I'm not sure exactly what they are, but I knew like. Uh, the line "Watch Kenyut and his bride" and some other things apparently has some sort of reference in in historic um, things that happened in Scotland's history. So, you know, I know Stuart is a big or was a big uh, history buff. So, you know, maybe it kind of lends itself to that kind of line of thinking. I don't know, but yeah, I agree. It's an odd choice. It's an odd topic for a song, especially for uh, a non-American. So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but but like we talked about the last time, uh, as a non-English speaker, the lyrics sometimes take a second seat. And uh, as an early song for me, you know, at some point when I started listening to the band, I wasn't as proficient in English. So uh, the lyrics were kind of there and sometimes a golden gem sort of stand out. You listen to a song and uh, you have the, you know, some days pass like a flash of a spark who knows where all our days go. Those kind of things just Mm -hmm. come out at you and wow, that's cool. So you get these nuggets of cool stuff instead of taking in the whole lyric and what's it really about so for me this song is mainly the mood the differentness right uh, i always tend to like the different uh, stuff of uh, you know the band still sounds like the band but they play something different i i'm not as big of a balcony fan as you but i really respect the song i, I think the only part that turned me off to it a little bit was just the um uh i i don't want to actually sing the song here because i couldn't but kind of toward the end where it, it kicks in and there, I, I think on the studio version, you hear the laughing, like a crazy man laughing in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's it's not the laughing, but it's that it's the music in that part. It's just it's just so um, it's so dissonant to my ears that it's difficult for me to gravitate to. But I I like it from kind of an outsider perspective, where I think. This is a really interesting track, but it doesn't really, it doesn't grab me as emotionally as some of their other ones do. But uh, so, okay, so my number nine would be um, 
a choice from which probably a lot of these are going to come from, and that is from uh, the REL tapes, which uh, if anyone doesn't know what that was, it was it was almost like the REL tapes. That fr- that phrase was kind of like uh, I don't know legendary for a time because people used to say what it, what was recorded during the REL sessions and. Mm-hmm. You know, w- were there more songs? And we f- we found out since that there were a few more. Um, one of which is my number nine, and that is "You Lose Your Dreams." <laughs> All those songs were, were done prior to Peace in Our Time, and they were recorded at uh, a studio called REL Studios. I believe it was in Edinburgh. I feel like that could have been the best, for, to me, that could have been the best big country album ever released, even better than Steel Town, if they would have given some of these songs um, a proper production treatment and, uh, and you know, made that the album. In fact, I, I have this, like, fantasy that in, a, in an alternate universe... The, the next big country album was not Peace in Our Time, but it was an album called Promised Land. And there were all these songs from the REL sessions that were on it. And uh, I just love the sound of all those songs. It's, it's heavy like Steel Town, but it's but it's also kind of got a sparkling quality to it. And um, You Lose Your Dreams is one of my favorites on there. Um, it's it's just a, it's a great rock song. It's a great classic big country type of song. It's got all the, the familiar types of riffs that you want to hear from a big country song at least from that time period i like the kind of the message of the song as well it's it's it shows Stewart at his most passionate and the line that really always got me and that really hooked me on the song was when he says i feel i feel a music that is wild and free and i thought when I when I first heard that line, it just gave me chills. It gave me those goosebumps because I felt like Stewart was kind of confirming the way that I feel when I listen to big country music and what I want to uh, get out of music when I listen to it. Just I've always felt that big country's music had that uh, you know characteristic to it. It's wild. It's free. It's it just got this sense of abandon to it. And um, that whole song is kind of about retaining your passion in life and not letting um, people who are cynical or not becoming too jaded about the things that you love in life and people telling you not to, uh, you know, people who's, I think the line is, your love is gone, your heart's too cold, my love is given while yours is sold, you call me a child, but that's just, and that's just fine, you lose your dreams and I keep mine. And, uh, yeah, I just love the passion of the song. I love the heaviness of the song, and the the guitar parts throughout are great. The the drums are great. Um, there's like a there's almost like a an overdubbed militaristic rolling snare that goes through the chorus of the song. That's kind of interesting too. It sounded like it was overdubbed after the fact. But I love how this song is. He sings a line, and then the guitar answers. And uh, yeah. again, it, it comes down to a mood thing that this song has to mood. Uh, there is uh, an inner dramatics that a lot of their songs have, and uh, that we're missing largely on Peace in Our Time. So uh, it's interesting how you mentioned these REL tapes. I remember we discussed them a lot back in the day. And yes. It, uh, it was quite some time after we started discussing them and finding out how many songs come from these sessions. And, uh, and uh, it didn't uh, 
become clear to me for some reason until after a while that the Ariel tapes were actually from the piece in our time period. Right. And I was just, whoa, you know, I, I didn't see that at all. I, I'm not sure where I would place them. Maybe sort of the seer-ish maybe or uh, not piece in our time. I, I didn't get the two to fix. They had those songs. Exactly. And that was the album they ended up with. Eight. Okay, so move on to number eight. What is your number eight? My number eight. We're actually moving into the 90s now. And uh, we are at the Buffalo Skinners era. Mm. And uh, it's probably a bit of a strange choice to uh, to a lot of people. It's a song that doesn't feature a drummer. So it's Enter a Drum Machine and Eastworld. <laughs> You're stealing my thunder. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> I, I love doing that, you know. But, <laughs> That's the uh, second time. But, but Eastworld is a song that I think it just drives itself. It's sort of, it pumps along. It's very catchy. I love it. It's, uh, it's one of the most toe-tappingly things. And uh, it, it really rocks. You know, uh, on the Buffalo Skinners, they turn the guitars up to 11. And yes. uh, it kicks ass. And Eastworld just chugs along. It's a... It uh, it really keeps going, and uh, it does. It's got a wonderful guitar solo. I just love it. It's not complex at all, and sometimes the beauty is in its simplicity. Are you it's talking about the? I love that so much. The, the, oh. the entire end section, and I think there's a minute or two minutes for just that guitar line, and they play along, and it just—it's a huge playout. It's just yes. that guitar line. And I just like love a... that. And there's like a big, while that's going on, there's like a big, uh, thick E string doing like a big bend, like bow, 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 bow. Yes. It almost reminds me a little bit lyrically. It, it, it kind of sits alongside maybe uh, from a different perspective, selling of America a little bit. It's kind of got that similar, you know, feeling of uh, commercialism and you know ruining things and a bit of commercialism, a bit of uh, the nuclear threat, which was huge at the time. They they released a non-single to they clearly marked a stand against it, and I think this ties a bit into it. Yeah. I've, I've come from the East really, with a missile for a god, and uh, it's uh, it's a bit like that. And uh, there's this feeling of doom underneath it all. They're they're good at having some underlying mood thing, and uh, for all its catchiness, and uh, it's typical to put on the most irresistible guitar lick. And there's a feeling of doom <laughs> underneath. You know how big country is that? I that know, I know. Of, that became their trademark after all these years. They, they did it some in the beginning, but that's one of the things they got better at doing. Have you heard the other versions of this, the other earlier demo versions of this, by any chance? I, I think I have. Yeah, it's, there's some. Um, there's some like with a with a slide guitar. Like at one, there's one where he plays, he plays the opening guitar parts with a slide, and uh, definitely did not work as well as the as the the final one. So I mean, it's obvious that he he went through a few changes to this song because I think I think there are like at least two other versions of it that I. I know that yeah. there are at least two other ones that I've heard. I'm looking up now. It's on Rarities 8. Okay. Okay, good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, he must have really thought highly of the song to keep reworking it like that. Um, 
And you know, they did they did play that live um, at a show with Mike Peters. Strangely enough, I've got this somewhere. Maybe I'll have to pop this into the to the to the song or to the podcast. But um, it was some it was some kind of convention. It was something in Zandom, and uh, they played it with Mark Brzezicki, Tony, and uh, and Bruce and Mike Peters. Was this the 2002 convention? It might have been. That sounds very familiar. That sounds like it would be the right year. I have listened to it. I've totally forgotten about it. Yeah. I don't remember I, them playing that song. I, I could, I could have sworn that they did. They might have, you know. I'll go back and I'll go back yeah. and check. I, I know, I know they played. I think they played "Never Take Your Place" as well, but I, I, I do remember that they played East World. I'll go back and check. If I find it, it will appear in this podcast. If not, it will prove yet again that I am getting old and forgetting <laughs> everything. I have come from the East World, from the concrete and the dust, at the end of the empire, for the lifting of the curse. I have come for your hardware, to the strip shows and the bars. I have come to see Madonna, swimming rivers filled with cars. Western men inside my head Lead me through the shifting sands 
Okay, so that's that's your number eight. That's an awesome choice. I love that song. Um, and my number eight is maybe boringly yet another choice from the REL tapes, um, and it's Promised Land. Love the song Promised Land. Uh, kind of, I, I guess, in retrospect, it, it reminds me of uh, the song Save Me just a little bit in that both of those songs have that kind of lead guitar opening. And um, it, it's just a very epic open to this song. Um, and it's one, of the first, it's one of the first songs I heard that was from these legendary REL tapes. I mean, I remember even looking at the back of the, the record. I think it was from a 12-inch... Uh, that I heard it on, and it said, taken from the REL tapes. And I think that's probably what a lot of people read and began to mythologize this REL tapes thing. It's like, what is the REL tapes? I mean, I didn't know what that meant. I thought, is this some kind of, you know, other album they were working on that wasn't released? And in a sense, maybe it was. But uh, anyway, I, I love this song. Uh, it's kind of like Eastworld in a sense. It's got a great groove to it. And part of that is... Um, this really cool use of the digital delay that I think Stuart was using a lot back then. Like and I, I just love the way that that sounds and um, it's really a cool part. It's fun to play too. And if, if you uh, can get the right delay settings, it's it's just very, you know, you can just sit there and play it for a, a long period of time. It's just a great little addictive riff. Oh, yeah. uh, it, it's it's a great song. Um, it, it's It's got a great breakdown section as well with incredible bass runs by Tony. does some great almost lead guitar type of bass playing which he often does and um he does that in this song um the chorus i think is beautiful when they get to the chorus and the one thing that i miss about this song that i that i wish could have been done and, and i guess would have been if they would have done a full version of it is it doesn't have any backing vocals i think uh backing vocals would have really added a lot to the song especially um in the chorus from a from a melodic uh perspective but Anyway, I, yeah, I, I I love this song, and and as I said, I, I often think and fantasize about another big country album that was released between the Seer and Peace in Our Time, or or maybe even in place of Peace in Our Time. That and this would have been the title track of the of that album, and uh, you know, it, it's just it's one of my favorites from that time period. Yeah, it, it's interesting in the liner notes to Restless Native and Rarities, Stuart says he can't remember too much what it's about. But to me, it's pretty obvious it's about the breakup of a marriage. Yeah. I... If you look at the lyrics and, uh, you know, to me, it's obvious and Stu can't remember. So yet again, this comes, you know, does he remember his own songs thing that we talked about? So Yeah, <laughs> no, no uh... more thought for a vow, one more break of a vow, uh, one more voice asking how. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I can see that definitely. 
this song sounds very produced, you know, with the guitar delays and it does. There's a lot of effects on the guitars, and uh, I'm thinking uh, peace in our time sessions, and they were managing to have a relatively well-produced song that sounded like this, and none of the peace in our time album sounds like this. So I again, I know there's a a bit of strangeness there, but uh, I think REL. Uh, sessions were generally well produced. I think they produced a lot of songs that were uh, done, but I think that was pre uh, Peter Wolf. Yes, it it was. It definitely was. I mean, I've, they did it themselves, and uh, you know, I'm sure they had an engineer there to help them. But I mean, as far as the production of these, they did it themselves, and I, I would be completely satisfied if this had been an album i mean these songs as i say maybe add a few little flourishes here and there but uh i agree i mean the sound of these of these songs from all the songs from this era and this section or, or this uh session sound fantastic but okay so number number seven what is what is your number seven seven okay so number seven uh i don't expect this to be an overlap but uh knowing us it probably will be <laughs> So this is the one song that made my top 10 from the Driving to Damascus sessions. Uh, it's very different to every other top 10 I have. It will not be an overlap. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't expect it. But, so but I love a lot of stuff from these sessions, and I thought about some of them, so I'm interested. Yeah, so this just uh, struck a chord with me. It's uh, one of the quieter songs. It's a song called Living by Memory. Which probably is my favorite song from the entire Driving to Damascus sessions. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, again, one of those uh, quiet songs. It's a mood song. It's uh, a song that is uh, very dark, extremely dark. It might be one of the darkest uh, lyrics that Stu ever wrote, which yes. uh, brings a chill when you think of how it all ended with him. Yes, yes. And uh, it all just, uh, you know, it, it, it just... You know, the song just brings it alive to me. You know, it uh, it just works for me. It makes alive those dark feelings. And wow, you know, any song that manages that, you know, it, it's uh, hair racing on the back of the neck stuff to me. And uh, you look at the lyrics, it, it's extremely dark. It's uh, starts a bit Bruce Springsteen-ish. I work at the graveyard shift, you know, how many songs, right. uh, you know, but, uh, you know, uh, Evidently, there's, uh, you know, he lost someone. Uh, there's a wreck down the highway, and uh, you might have heard on the news. And uh, something happened, and he's living by memory, thinking back, uh, unable to progress. And uh, the peace that waits for him is at heaven's door. How bleak can you get? Oh wow. Yes. It's, it's, it's incredible. So, uh, not at all, you know, a far cry from the days of stay alive, really. But uh, Oh, yeah, what a great uh, point that is. Yeah, exactly. It's it's all it's almost the opposite. This is like you know, just mindless routines slowly killing me. And it's um, it's a um, it's a hard song to rank against all the other songs. It's so yes. different. It's uh, 
so dark. Uh, not that darkness is new to big country, you know, by God, but but this is in a league of its own. Yeah, I mean, and, the, the, uh, the old big country, there was that darkness, but there was almost, there was usually some sort of spark, hopeful spark to the songs, and you don't see any of that here. No, it's totally gone, and there, there is nothing. And uh, again, thinking of how things are understood, it, it's just... Uh, it it just brings it home to me, and uh, it, it um, any song that gets that kind of reaction out of me is uh, is a good song to me. So it's not a song that I bring out and play on a nice sunny warm day. <laughs> it's, it's not that <laughs> right. kind of song at all. But uh, uh, it's certainly a song that that works on that level that it is. And uh, I think that's a great choice. I mean, it's not on my list of top ten, but it's it's definitely up there. Uh, this is a great song. I mean, it, you're right. It's a great song from the Driving to Damascus sessions. And um, it, it's got a. What I really like about this song, you know, from a musical standpoint, is that it's. I think it's a really interesting combination of Stuart's Scottish roots and the influence of Nashville at the time. I mean, because it's, it's got a lot of. Uh, it almost sounds like an old country, American country song. You know, it's got a it's got a lot of Nashville in it in the, yes. in the feeling of the song, and yet it still sounds it still sounds very big country. I mean, there's it, it doesn't sound like he's he's pretending. In other words, it doesn't sound like he's pretending to be a, a country star or, or trying to write in a certain genre that he's not comfortable in. I mean, it, it's just a great uh, marriage between those two styles. And you're right, it, it's very, very Bruce Springsteen-esque. I mean, it, it sounds like something that could have been on his Nebraska album. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the Bruce Springsteen catalog, but Nebraska yeah. is one of my favorite Springsteen albums, and it's it's got that whole heavy reverb, driving at night type of feel to it with lots of stories like this. And I know, yes. Stuart, I know Stuart was a big fan of of that album and of, of Bruce Springsteen and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I'm sure that had some, some influence on him somewhere along the line, but, uh, my number seven is, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it's a similar song necessarily to living by memory, certainly not in lyrics, but, um, it's got kind of a similar feel to some degree and it's, uh, it's winter sky. Stewart says, Bruce and I recorded this ourselves at Palladium in Edinburgh as a B-side, but this time I actually, I actually think we got a great song. The bass, bass drum, and snare were played on a synth at separate times. In fact, I think Bruce did the bass drum and I did the snare. Thrown away on a B-side, I think. So, I know that Stewart really loved this song, um, at least after the fact. I don't know why they didn't like it at first. I mean, I guess I can certainly see why it wouldn't necessarily fit the Steel Town album, although I could still see it on the Steel Town album easily. I mean, you know, if, if it got a treatment similar to the Come Back to Me treatment, um, you know, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't have worked on Steel Town. But, um, you know, as, as I said before, maybe there was just, you know, there's more of a, there was more of a limitation back then on the amount of songs that you could put on a release. But uh, one of my favorites, I mean, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I almost didn't put it on the list because I'm kind of burned out on the song because I've heard it so many times and I've played it so many times and it's another song that I've covered myself. But um, 
you know, when I looked at it, I just thought, I, there's no way I can leave this off the top ten list. I mean, it's just a classic big country song. Um, the lyrics are, are beautiful. It's it's those that type of poetic lyric that Stewart was writing back then, where he just conjures up all this incredible imagery that you don't necessarily know exactly what he's referencing sometimes, but but you get you get a great sense for the song uh, from an emotional standpoint. And um, man, when, when you think of the songs that they did during the Steeltown era, I mean, it's just mind-boggling how great they were. And I think this one is right up there with any of them. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree that the lyrics are uh, definitely uh, the shining uh, piece of the song. I, I love them. They're yeah. very poetic and uh, extremely evocative, like, like most of them were back then. I don't think yes. there was a single throwaway lyric in the early years. Uh, very, very, you know, poetic. You know, they work without the music. Uh, I have to say though that the music to Winter Sky leaves me a bit flat. Uh, oh, that's interesting. They've always done that. I know my wife loves Winter Sky. It's one of her favorite songs. And uh, to me, you know, it, um, it it's one of those songs that you know, if Winter Sky had come along as an outtake to you know in the '90s or some later stuff, it, I probably would have liked it more. Mm-hmm. But uh, back in the '80s when this came out and. I compare this to the other albums and or the songs that we had at that time. There's not that much going on. It's almost like they're strumming uh, along <laughs> with more details, mind you. But uh, right. And I know I'm being negative now. I'm sorry, but no, it's no, just, no. Uh, this is great. It, it, well, it's, it, very, uh, it's definitely a more sparse, a very much more sparse song than anything they were doing at the time. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, definitely. And um, you know, never really got hooked on it. I don't, I don't mind it, but uh, compared to almost anything else they had out certainly by the first two albums uh, it's it's not as interesting musically to me it's um it's it's okay but um uh, the b-side status is sort of merited in my book for me what got, what gets me about the song is the the actual just the melodies of the song the melody of the of the vocal parts and how they intertwine with the um kind of the ringing droning acoustic guitar that's going on but yeah i i can i can understand i mean it's it's definitely not as produced and it's it doesn't have the uh, the complexity of a lot of those songs, but uh, maybe that was why it appealed to me more because it was such a such a change of pace to some degree mm. uh, from the sound. I mean, really, I mean, when you think about it, I can't think of another big country acoustic song from from that era. I mean, I I really can't think of any big country songs that really incorporated the acoustic guitar much at all from those first three albums and maybe even into well peace in our time had a little bit of it but uh and i think there was some on the first album too of course with Storm. yeah but certainly not to this extent that's uh, right. that's clear so yeah. it is much more uh, you could say a strumming song but it, there is more interesting stuff going on and i still haven't figured out if it is an ebo or a keyboard that has that long droning background thing towards the end there's sort of a tone floating over the whole thing and yeah i know what you're talking about now that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I I have to go back and listen to it to be sure, but I would I would venture to say that it's probably a keyboard. I mean, I nothing ever hit me as being an ebo on the song. I could be wrong. I mean, it could be like a, a different way that they're playing the ebo, but seeing that they played, you know, the drums and the bass on the synthesizer, I would I would probably guess that they played some sort of droning keyboard part that kind of went through the whole thing. But yeah, you're right. That that is that there is that part that kind of gives that unsettled feeling almost. Just this constant droning. Yeah, and that's the part I noticed because that kind of stuff starts getting interesting to me, but there's not enough of it. 
Yeah, yeah. All right, well, good. It's, <laughs> so good, to, go. it's good to disagree. And that, that's the B-side to Just a Shadow, by the way. So um, anyway, all right, awesome. So let's see. What are we up to now? Shot! Okay, so where are we? We are at the end of Episode 3, unfortunately. We've run out of time. But as I said at the beginning of this podcast, Episode 4 has already been recorded. It should be edited and available here pretty soon. Um, not not in a month's time, more like in about a week, week and a half's time. So that's going to be coming soon, and you can hear the rest of our countdown. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll be interested in, in hearing that and seeing what we've both chosen as our number one big country b-side slash rarity of all time. Email us at bigcountrypodcast.com. Look for us on Facebook. We should have a Facebook page up there soon. And hopefully this is something that will just slowly grow and, and develop. So feel free to spread the word if you've enjoyed this. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you soon. Big country.